This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. Donald Trump lost for a number of reasons at the D.C. Court of Appeals, in which they found no presidential immunity for somebody um, for criminal conduct while he was in office, a natural extension of all the other cases. That ruling stood on the shoulders of dozens of other cases, including some that had Donald Trump's name on it from 2020, which led inexorably to the decision that's right and rock-solid analysis by Judge Pan, Judge Childs, and Judge Henderson, that Donald Trump and no occupant of the presidency is above the law, is above judicial review, is above the application of criminal law that was established by Congress in our three co-equal branches of government and checks and balance constitutional republic. But one of the reasons he lost, and I did a prior hot take on him losing on his structural immunity argument under the separation of powers, this one I'm going to focus on his argument that impeachment had to happen first as a prerequisite before, for instance, before, uh, don't ask for whom the bell tolls, before he could be criminally prosecuted by an Article Three judge or a federal judge. Donald, let me explain the position of Donald Trump. I'll try to keep a straight face while I do it. And then I'll tell you why it lost and the analysis that was done by the three-judge panel and why it matters in terms of his other arguments in other cases. Because Donald Trump, when he loses, he loses big and it reverberates and it uh, throughout the entire um, throughout all of his other criminal prosecutions because he's not a he's not a single prosecution defendant, right? Donald Trump likes to what does he say? He likes to be the most, the best, the greatest. Okay, he's the most, the best, the greatest uh, in terms of having multiple criminal prosecutions in four different jurisdictions, state and federal, totaling you know over hundred and thirty different felony indictment charges. <laughs> okay, so when you have a bad ruling at the federal highest level of a appellate court, D.C. Court of Appeals, and then the United States Supreme Court case, it has an impact on your other arguments. Because precedent that was just set by you, like February of 2024, can be used against you in cases that you have not yet argued in front of. This is a case of where a criminal defendant is literally making his own precedent against himself in real time and then being applied in real time by federal judges, state judges, uh, trial judges, and appellate judges. Crazy. But let me focus now on what I want to do on this particular hot take is focus on the heart of his in, his impeachment argument and then tell you how it was dismantled and then end the hot take with why it matters because of the other arguments that he's raising. The impeachment argument, which I thought was dead on arrival because of the oral argument that John Sauer on behalf of Donald Trump had and how he got roasted, I mean, just roasted by Judge Pan, he got panned by Pan, the Biden appointee, and for good reason. Their argument is not a double jeopardy argument. Even the in their decision, the three-judge panel said he's not quite making, Trump's not quite making a double jeopardy immunity argument, which means you can't be tried for the same crime twice. If you went through it, if, if a jeopardy attaches, which means you've you've been indicted, you went through a trial, you either got acquitted, maybe there was a mistrial uh, on a certain count, or you got convicted or exonerated, you can't be tried again if the crime is identical. If it's not identical and the elements are different, then you're out from under the de double jeopardy immunity defense, if you will. But he didn't raise double jeopardy immunity. Even at oral argument, John Sauer said, well, it's not really double jeopardy. They're raising... Um, an impeachment judgment clause. The impeachment judgment clause quite clearly says, 
and this is what was pointed out by uh, literal text, that an officer such as a president can be you know, can to be removed from office and that the only penalty is removal from office. He can be tried, he can be uh, impeached in the House, which is the uh, equivalent of an indictment, and tried in the Senate and convicted or exonerated. And, but, the, for, but that particular provision of the impeachment judgment clause, which is Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7, um, only says it, this is only good for removal from office. Everything else, including potential criminal prosecution, that's not banned or barred or precluded by the impeachment judgment clause. So right there, right from the text, literal text, his argument was a loser. Their argument was that in order, listen to this, by negative implication, whenever you're in the world of negative implications in constitutional analysis about key core provisions by our drafters, by our framers, our founding fathers, you're dead in constitutional argument world. If you can't, well, it doesn't say that, but by negative inference, by the time you get negative inference out, you're you're sort of done. You're, you are you are weekend at Bernie's at that moment. And that's what the court here has said in their ruling. But their argument is that in order for Trump to be uh, indicted and tried in an Article Three federal court, or by implication, a state court, he first, for the exact same crimes, has to have gone through an impeachment process and needed to have been convicted, convicted by the Senate. And since he wasn't convicted by the Senate, because he was already out of office and a lot of the senators said, I don't think we can actually vote to convict if he's no longer president. Uh, he, uh, that's a big issue. Uh, he says, well, I wasn't convicted by the Senate, so you can't try me now in court by a negative implication. That's not what, for, that's not what the impeachment judgment clause says. And, and and to show you the ludic the the ludicrousness and the lunacy of the argument, Judge Pan said to John Sauer, "I don't really understand. Are you saying that? Um, how about if there's no time? How about if there's no time left on the clock um, to to after the crime has been discovered by the president to put him through the impeachment conviction Senate process? What if it happens like in the waning days of his administration? Look how much Donald Trump did bad in the last 10 or 12 days of his administration. How many attorney generals he fired and went through during that period. Suppose he did it in the last minute, like five minutes before Joe Biden takes the oath of office while Donald Trump is still president. He commits a crime. How are you going to put him through an impeachment and conviction process in the remaining four minutes? Okay, so th this argument was, as I said, dead on arrival sort of early on, but they've really hung their hat on it on the, in the Trump world. And so they said that, look, if you look at the 14th Amendment, uh, I'm sorry, if you look at the Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7 of the U.S. Constitution, it says, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to, rem than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit, under the United States, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. It says exactly what it means, right? They know how to write. Congress knows how to write when they, the framers of this provision know how to write it. They said, it's, this is only about a removal and disqualification under, if you had an office under the laws of the United States. 
here we have under the laws of the United States. Again, that's going to kill Donald Trump at the 14th Amendment, Section 3 ballot banning argument, where he argues, I'm not under the laws of the United States. I am the United States. I didn't take the right oath of office for the Constitution. I'll leave that for another hot take. But this also, this provision kills him in his argument that I can't be tried unless I'm first convicted in the Senate. Real talk. 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. Personally, all of my friends, once they hit 40, started using something to help, whether they admitted it in the locker room or not, because it's always been a taboo topic. Thankfully, Hims is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable and discreet sexual health treatments all from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No insurance needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers. So if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash legal AF. That's H-I-M-S.com slash legal AF for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash legal AF. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription. And they go on to say, um, uh, on the negative implication thing, they, the judges say on page 42, the impeachment judgment clause is focused solely on those who are convicted by the Senate following impeachment by the House. The first part of the clause limits the penalties that can be imposed by the Congress based on impeachment conviction. It, it's only removal from office and disqualification for future office. The second part makes clear that, that the limited consequences of impeachment do not immunize, listen to these words, do not immunize convicted officers from criminal prosecution. That's what Donald Trump wants to do now. He wants to have immunity because he's claiming that he didn't go through an impeachment process that led to his conviction. It's the opposite of what should be happening. The party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment. The panel goes on to say on page 43, in former President Trump's view, however, the word convicted in the second phrase implicitly bestows immunity on presidents who are not convicted based on a negative implication. He asserts that the impeachment judgment clause presupposes, this is a quote from the briefing and from the oral argument by Donald Trump's lawyers, that a president is not criminally liable absent a conviction in the Senate. Citing to the appellant's brief, other courts have rejected this tortured interpretation of the impeachment judgment clause. Uh, moreover, they continue, former President Trump's interpretation runs counter to the text, structure, and purpose of the impeachment judgment clause. Um, and as they cited from a case from the, uh, the United States Supreme Court from 2017, 
the uh, NLRB versus SW Gen case, quote, the force of any negative implication depends on context. Apply, and it applies only when circumstances support a sensible inference that the term left out must have been meant to be excluded. To begin, this is this is their gut punch, the solar plexus punch to, to this whole impeachment argument. To begin, former president's reliance on a negative implication is an immediate red flag. The framers of the Constitution knew how to explicitly grant criminal immunity in the Constitution. So if they wanted to give him criminal immunity uh, or immunity from criminal prosecution, they knew how to use their quill pens and write it in their parchment um, as they did, the uh, opinion continues, to give to legislators in giving them immunity under the speech and debate clause of of Article 1, Section 6. So same article. In other words, they knew in the same article how to give it to Congress. Why didn't they give it to the president? Yet they chose, the opinion continues, not to include a similar provision granting immunity to the president, citing Vance, which is the Vance versus Trump case from 2020 with Thomas dissenting, Clarence Thomas dissenting. But the majority ruled that the text of the Constitution explicitly addresses the privileges of some federal officials, but it does not afford the president absolute immunity. I mean, that right there kills the entire absolute immunity argument by Donald Trump. It should have been a one-page brief in that way. Another important clue, the opinion continues, is that the clause's use of the word nevertheless, as in the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable, right, in a criminal case, that nevertheless, according to contemporaneous 18th century dictionaries, I love when judges, I'm a, I'm a law a law nerd. I love when judges go to 18th century dictionaries and they say, you know what notwithstanding meant in the 18th century when this was written? It means notwithstanding that, which in turns means without hindrance or obstruction from. The impeachment judgment clause contains no words that limit criminal liability and to the contrary, it uses nevertheless to ensure that liability will not be limited even after an official is impeached, convicted, and removed from office. Um, The text of the impeachment judgment clause reflects its purpose, they conclude, to allocate responsibility between the legislative and executive branches for holding impeached officers accountable for misconduct. So here we have yet another example. And then they finally take, uh, just let me just end it with this, they finally take Donald Trump to task by taking one line out of an Alexander Hamilton Federalist paper that was written around the time of the Constitution in order to promote the passage of the of the Constitution, because there were some struggles there I won't go into on this hot take. It would take too long among the various states about whether they were going to pass this Constitution and what the version of it was going to look like. And there were a lot of people like Hamilton and Madison and Jefferson and others that were writing Federalist papers in order to support the analysis. If anybody saw the, the Broadway musical Hamilton, they know that Hamilton wrote most of the Federalist Papers, um, even though they were supposed to equally split the load between uh, Madison and Jefferson. But they but Hamilton kind of just couldn't stop writing and he wrote most of them. And what and and Donald Trump loves this one line in which 
In one sentence, Alexander Hamilton wrote, the president of the United States would be liable to be impeached, tried, and upon conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes or misdemeanors removed from office and would afterwards be liable to prosecution and punishment. They try to argue that that semicolon means that he has there has to be a, pres, a Senate conviction first before he gets to come out to Article Three judges for indictment and conviction. And they, co- they totally reject that. Um, they say that the Trump, you know, miss uh, myopically focuses on the word afterwards and suggests that a president is not liable to prosecution and punishment until after he's been impeached and convicted. But we think the more significant word in Hamilton's statement is liable, which means subject to. Hamilton specifies that a president would be subject to impeachment, trial and conviction and removal, and afterwards would be subject to prosecution and punishment without regard to the verdict in the impeachment proceeding. Moreover, in the very next sentence in the same essay by Hamilton, they point out, just a side note, Trump loves to to quote half comments and half statements and then leave out the very next sentence. That's a frequent uh, problem. Uh, defect in Donald Trump's lawyers and their arguments. They say, moreover, in the very next sentence of the same essay Donald Trump relies on, Hamilton stresses that the president must be unlike the king of Great Britain, who was sacred and inviolable, inviolable, sorry. The Federalist number 69, it strains credulity, they conclude, that Hamilton would have endorsed a reading of the impeachment judgment clause that shields presidents from all criminal accountability unless they are first impeached and convicted by Congress. This is an argument now that Donald Trump raises time and time again in state courts where he's arguing supremacy clause or impeachment uh, or uh, or immunity in the Georgia election interference case, in the D.C. election interference case here, and in the Mar-a-Lago case, which will come up. And the precedent that's being set now by the D.C. Court of Appeals up to the United States Supreme Court is going to turn out to be the ruin of Donald Trump and his legal arguments. Now, whenever he tries to argue that, well, the impeachment clause, here's the argument I have on the impeachment clause. While it might have sounded barely passing the straight face test when it was made in briefing and on oral argument, it's now dead. The D.C. Court of Appeals appeals killed it with this methodical uh, 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 breakdown and um, attack and criticism of his argument forevermore reflected in 57 pages of a federal court decision with that's Trump's name on it, which will now be cited against Donald Trump down by Jack Smith in the Mar-a-Lago criminal prosecution case by Fawny T. Willis in the Georgia election interference case and anywhere else that Donald Trump tries to raise the argument of impeachment uh, impeachment before uh, indictment and conviction as a legal principle. We'll continue to follow. We've got a big oral argument coming up on February the eighth in front of the United States Supreme Court. We'll get the oral, the oral transcript of it. We'll get the oral recording of it. We'll report on it one place only: Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network, right here, and on Wednesdays and Saturdays during our Legal AF podcast at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube and then on audio podcast platforms of your choice. So. Um, rest assured, I'm going to follow it. I'll come back to you on hot takes just like this one. If you like what I'm doing, leave me a thumbs up. Literally, leave a comment. Helps with the algorithm. Helps keep us on the air. So until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.